Welcome to the Fran Park Center for Faith and Life in Scottsdale, Arizona. This is the Out of the Park podcast series. We invite you to join us for other programming you can find on our website at www.framparkcenter.org. Join us. I'm Wes Avram, the director of the Fran Park Center for Faith and Life in Scottsdale, Arizona. This is our Out of the Park podcast series. Today, we are in part three, remembering a webinar done in the height of the pandemic in 2021 with Dr. Miroslav Wolf, professor of theology at Yale Divinity School on themes of faith and the common good. We've uh, divided those into three podcasts, and today, part three. So in the remainder of this lecture, I want to explore what resources we find in the Christian Bible, and I want to take just a small segment of uh, of the biblical uh, tradition to mine for that uh, vision, and that's the uh, last chapters of the book of Revelation. If you haven't read recently the book of Revelation, and you haven't read least recently those chapters, read chapters 18 and then 20 to 20, uh, 22. Uh, and you'll get a sense of this contrast that I'm going to be painting for you. The seer in the book of Revelation is John of Patmos. What he sees is a kind of different kind of world inhabited by different kinds of selves and suffused with the presence of God. A material and social space which is God's home and human home in one. Now, an attentive reader will easily detect in John's vision plentiful echoes of stories of exile, of hope, of homecoming about which we read in the Hebrew Bible. Writing at the end of the first century of the Common Era, John of Patmos presents us with a contrast between Babylon, which was the city of Israel's exile, and Jerusalem, which was the city of Israel's homecoming. But he gives each of these cities a twist. Babylon has now, for John, become a symbolic reference to Roman Empire, and Jerusalem becomes the new Jerusalem, object of eschatological future expectation. So you have on the one side a dystopian vision of Babylon, dominated by forces which have from ancient times been and still remain enemies of home, And he's trying to nudge his readers to direct their hopes toward the new Jerusalem. So I'll try to highlight some aspect of these two cities that uh, that draw out this contrast between unhomed world and world that is a home. So let's start with the unhomed world of Babylon. Though on the surface, it may seem that John is concerned mainly with the debauchery of the city, centrality gone wild. Actually, when you read carefully, he excoriates primarily Babylon's politics, economics, religions, and between the lines, its treatment of nature. So let's take some of these elements. First, let's take the rule, governance. Babylon is the world capital. It rules over peoples and multitudes and nations and languages, by military might, by deception, and by seduction. 
you can you can uh, uh, you, you know you can say might fake news uh, and and uh, a kind of propaganda in some ways uh, kind of self portrayal as being better than what one truly is in order to attract uh, attention to oneself. Second, wealth. It is consumed with desire for wealth. A desire has that desire it has in common with kings and magnates over whom it rules and with whom it cooperates and trades. The city is dressed, which means the city fills itself with the finest of things, from gold to spices, from silk and scarlet to horses and chariots, from pearls and ivory to frankincense and mine, from cattle to slaves. That's its wealth. But it's concerned also not just with power and, uh, and wealth, but with glory as well. Rule and wealth are not just about control and possession. They're also about stealth presentation as glorious, as uh, being um, marked by splendor. Um, and then finally, nature. What is conspicuously absent is nature that isn't manipulated and processed into service of human ends. Everything in the city is manufactured and controlled, and even humans are hidden behind the glitter of artificiality that gives them fake glory. Now, we often, sometimes, those of us who are really concerned about nature, we are concerned about nature, but often forget that we have placed artificiality on ourselves in such a way that we have unnaturalized our very selves. Ultimate value, decked with jewels and clothes in purple and scarlet, Babylon tolerates no alternative set of values besides the beastly obsession with power, wealth, and glory. The golden cup full of abomination it holds is filled with the blood of prophets and saints. Babylon's throne is a scarlet beast full of blasphemous names, and the city is doomed because it is to become a dwelling place of demons. Now, that's a very sharp negative depiction of Babylon. It serves as a contrast to New Jerusalem, the home of God among and with humans. Now let's uh, return to some of the same themes. I'll start with what I ended in Babylon, ultimate values. As John sees the New Jerusalem, the Holy of Holies, that's what the New Jerusalem is, the part of the ancient Israelite temple where, God, where God's presence rested. God dwells in it, and it dwells in God. That's the foundation, so to speak, of the entire endeavor. And then comes the rule. Now God rules. Consequently, when John envisions God and Christ ruling from the throne, they don't rule merely from outside. And they certainly do not rule by military might or with the help of deception as Babylon does. They rule from within the true selves of the people in whom they dwell, the selves which have the law of love written, woven into the very fabric of their lives. This implies that everybody rules together with God, which is to say, it implies that no one rules over anyone. Now, if I have an imagination of home as a common space, 
it's a place where no one rules over anyone else, but everyone willingly does what it takes to be in a harmonious home. Nations are not subdued and robbed of their glory. They walk in the light of God, and through the open gates, they bring their glory and honor into Jerusalem. Now, wealth, even more than Babylon, it's very interesting. Jerusalem is opulent, full of gold, crystal, precious stones. But nobody is getting rich by trading or at the expense of somebody else. Because as in any good home, everything is equally accessible to everybody. The water of life is available for free as a gift. Nature, New Jerusalem is an urban area, but it is not an entirely artificial manufactured space. It is a garden city. The river of the water of life flows from the throne of God and the Lamb through the middle of the city. On either side of the river is the tree of life with 12 kinds of fruit and leaves of the trees are for the healing of nation. So this is a kind of Garden of Eden this restored and expanded to be integrated into the city. It's a vision of harmony between civilization and nature. Now, one important feature distinguishes Babylon and Jerusalem. It's competition. The true citizens of Babylon desire goods of Babylon. They desire power. They desire wealth and glory. But in Babylon, these goods are only available through Babylon's own way of organizing life, which is to say, under the condition of competition in a zero-sum game. Babylonian desire is not just to have more power, more wealth, and more glory. It is to have more of power, more wealth, more glory than others have, right? So it's a competitive good. And that's what really drives Babylon's dynamic of escalation. No matter how much Babylon's goods and Babylon itself are desired, Babylon can never become home. Its good can never be common. In fact, the more Babylonians desire those goods, the longer they seek to acquire them the way they do, the less likely it, it is that Babylon will become home and Babylonians will feel at home. For no matter how much wealth Babylon creates, since its citizens neither long for what they have nor share it with others, they can never come to be and feel at home. Contrast that to New Jerusalem, which has goods that unite, which is to say common goods. In the New Jerusalem, in contrast, everything is shared. Rule, wealth, the goods of nature, all are shared. Everything is always already possessed by everyone. What's more, the nested set of relations of gods, indwelling persons, communities, and entire heaven and the earth unites each with all in vision, in reality, and in longing. If you desire the goods that belong to all and unite all, that is to desire common goods, goods that belong to all and unite all, you will feel at home in the new Jerusalem and only there. If you'll be true Jerusalemite, 
But Babylonians will hate New Jerusalem. Perhaps the way Nietzsche, the great proponent of struggle, hated empathy. And living for Babylonians, living in New Jerusalem, they would be, feel hemmed in, alienated from themselves. Like the merchants mourning the demise of Babylon in Revelation 18, if they ever found themselves in the New Jerusalem, they would long to return to Babylon, the unhomed city. So you have this contrast in images of Babylon and New Jerusalem, and there's kind of a competition going on in Revelation as to which city is more beautiful, more lushly adorned. Um, the both are clearly impressive, each in their own way. Still, the Babylonians will despise the New Jerusalem and Jerusalemites and will despise them partly just for their wanting a home and being at home, wanting common goods rather than privately owned competitive goods. Inversely, too, Jerusalemites will disdain Babylon, perhaps pity Babylonians, for failing to desire home, shared goods. The contrast between Babylon and New Jerusalem and between the attitudes of Babylonians and Jerusalemites toward each other is a reminder that the vision of home and of common good is a vision of life governed by a table of values that are set within given account of reality. What differentiates the two in part, Babylonians and Jerusalemites, that they live and identify with competing different tables of values. And let me now uh, conclude. One way to describe where we find ourselves at the beginning of the third decade of the uh, 21st century is to say that we live in a modern and global version of John's Babylon. Some of us may find ourselves comfortable in it, but many will not. And none of our progeny, I have a three-year-old daughter, she will not have much future in such a world. Others may long for something like New Jerusalem while knowing all too well that we cannot build it. It's a dream. It's a utopian vision. John of Patmos knew that very well. He saw that city not being built from ground up. He saw it as coming down out of heaven from God. But even if we cannot create the new Jerusalem, we can start living in the light of its vision. If we do, the promise of the God of biblical traditions is that we will come to know and love the world as our common home. Both the home that we already have and that world already is, and the home that it will become. Well, we finish our journey with Dr. Miroslav Wolf today. Miroslav, thank you so much for joining us. This is the Out of the Park podcast series from the Fran Park Center for Faith and Life. For the last three podcasts, we have been remembering a webinar from 2021 with Dr. Wolf uh, called Can We Share the Future on Faith and the Common Good? Today was our third part. You can hear parts one and two on our website and find other podcasts there from the Fran Park Center for Faith and Life. Thanks for joining us at our Out of the Park podcast series. 
you like this program and would like to check out more, go to our website at www.framparkcenter.org. Thank you.